picture this. I'm a senior in high school, but it's like rural Iowa high school. So there's a parking lot filled with diesel trucks, maybe even some horses. There's like 30 people in my graduating class, cornfields all around, you know, you get it. So anyways, this kid from Britain moves to Iowa to my high school and everyone's just freaking out like he's Harry Styles or something. Did you hear about Tyler? He just transferred and guess what? He has a British accent. Okay, big deal. So anyways, the excitement never really faded, but it wasn't new news anymore. And so here I am at my high school's volleyball game and I get introduced to this British Tyler guy. And it was true. He did have a British accent and he had this wavy brown hair. And I don't really remember what he was wearing, but I'm just sure it was great. So after a while, I got the courage to do something about this. And I asked him to go on a bike ride around my two square mile hometown. How romantic. I thought I was just being so old fashioned and like kind of trendy, but um, didn't end up, end up really mattering because he just straight up didn't respond. And that was the end of British Tyler for me. Phil Workman. I like jazz music, summer bike rides, and making questionable financial decisions on Craigslist. It's kind of a problem. Probably deserves its own <laughs> podcast or something. Hey guys, uh, my name is Elvira, and uh, something that I enjoy doing is probably I'd go with retail therapy. So whenever I feel down or I just need to, you know, bring up my mood, I'll just do some shopping. It always ends up being at Target. So <laughs> if that says anything. Um, I also like playing the piano, so whenever I'm like depressed or something or just need to like relieve some some stress, I'll just start playing sad songs and stuff, you know, set the vibe. Um, and lastly, I really enjoy flavored beverages, any flavored beverage, so like from coffee to Celsius to just, to just flavored water. Like my favorite flavor of Celsius at the moment is Fuji Apple Pear, and I don't think much can beat that, but there's something satisfying about walking around through the halls like with the beverage in your hands at all times like that just like it's just an aesthetic you know and um yeah also like something there's something great about just drinking celsius with a straw like 10 out of 10 would recommend it's definitely a game changer and i am grace and i like my old calico cat named tyke riding those green electric scooters with my little brother ben and crumbling up my chocolate chip cookies and pouring milk on them and eating it like cereal so anyways, welcome to Modern Story Podcast, episode number eight. Today we're telling stories about trying our best and maybe succeeding. Yeah, kind of like when Grace asked the British guy out and then got immediately ghosted. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Understandable, but you know, funny. Yeah, that definitely sucks. But you know what? It happens to the best of us. Like for me, for example, I'll always go for fist bumps and sometimes like people just don't see it and reject me and I'm just standing there with like my fist out and no one reacts. So I'm just like, okay, sounds G. <laughs> but the important thing is you tried. Now let's hear Phil's story about trying. It's called Into the Woods and Through the Storm. So there I am, fresh off the bus in the New Mexican mountains. Behind me, there's an abyss of prairie, probably goes all the way back to Minnesota. In front of me, there's a mountain range filled with rocks, pine trees, and almost certainly some measure of imminent calf pain waiting for me. The emotions have never been higher, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the epitome of my scouting career. Literally, my entire life has led up to this moment. I'm going to cry, I think to myself. No, wait, I'm excited. This is exciting. This is exciting. Take risks. Do your best. And then, of course, as like the crew leader, I thought to myself, 
it's my job to make this go smoothly. Literally the entire weight of this trip rests upon my shoulders, which admittedly are already sore from the heavy backpack that is already literally resting upon my shoulders. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that there was a lot at stake for me. The contrast between the enthusiasm of my camp ranger, who would only be there to show us the ropes for about two days, and the group of about 12 concerned 15- to 18-year-old boys was, to put it bluntly, astronomical. So there we are. We set off into the wilderness to be seen again by civilization approximately 13 days later, you know, barring the possibility of death by exposure, uh, bears, insurrection by my peers. And, and while these thoughts are crossing my mind, there is, however, a much more immediate problem brewing right overhead. See, there's, there's storm clouds that bring this, this sort of eerie darkness across the landscape. That's a double entendre if I've ever heard one, as you will see. And it's at this point I notice a group of cows laying down in the grass. And while I do not speak cow, their message to me was clear. The end is near. They mooed. Probably, I assume. Uh, furthermore, our mission was clear. We had to make it to the next campsite, set up shop, enjoy the party, rinse and repeat. But before anyone knew it, boom! Wind, rain, and thunder, like extinction event level thunder and lightning, and it's bombarding us in our Walmart rain jackets. And of course, there's this like one scout who's having like time of his life in this fancy Arcturix jacket, costs like probably 300 bucks. And admittedly, I'm a bit jealous of this guy, but that's neither here nor there. So yeah, there's, there's this lightning, crashes of thunder are rattling our eardrums, like genuinely the ground is shaking. This is like biblical shaking, guys. And I'm pretty sure there's this one particularly spiteful lightning bolt that is followed immediately by the smell of beef roast, or you know, maybe that was just my stomach talking. And then again, as the tallest person in the group, I am arguably the most attractive one of the bunch, uh, and that is that <laughs> my, my likelihood of my instant death at 30 million volts was a, a real concern to me. Um, so off and on for the next couple of hours, we enter what is called the lightning position, a pose that our ranger assured us would keep us safe in the event of a lightning strike. You know, hands on head, squat with your ankles up. To this day, I'm, I'm still unconvinced that electricity is scared of yoga poses, but as you can imagine, this is like really inhibiting our progress. And you, you just sort of crouch there, you and your thoughts. Um, I'm probably thinking something like, hmm, maybe the extra 10 bucks for the rain pants would have been a worthy investment. But nonetheless, we trudged through the muddy trails, made it safely to our camp, and there we are soaked and huddled around our non-existent campfire. And our ranger tells me something. He says, you see that mountain up there? That's called the tooth of time. You'll be a different man by the time you get there. He didn't actually sound like that, but his joviality and confidence was similarly irritating. And there's a part of me that couldn't help but hope that he was right. In the next two weeks, I was pushed again and again to my limit in similarly interesting events, which I do not have the time to tell, but just know that the words cow water hold a special place in my heart. And with each event, I would gain a bit of insight into what I was really doing there in New Mexico. Uh, I came to see that as the crew leader, it wasn't my job to ensure that nothing ever went wrong. That would make for sort of a boring trip. My job was to aim us as a group towards our goal, despite everything that would go wrong. And believe me, a lot went wrong, <laughs> and I'm glad it did. 
I like to think of that first hike from the prairie into the mountains during that storm to be a pattern for defining moments everywhere. Oh, and uh, yes, we did all make it to the tooth of time, which for everyone was sort of a transcendental feeling on top of everyone's, you know, violent panting for air, just having climbed a mountain, of course. Uh, sort of just sat there on top of the mountain, gazed out at where I'd come, where I might go, why it's worth trying your best, and finally, why it's worth weathering the storm. Thanks, Phil. Um, so that was a while ago, I guess, a couple years. Have you gone anywhere since and weathered any other storms? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, just, just a couple summers ago, I went up to the, uh, like, Apostle Islands area. and the, So that's, like, Lake Superior. And there's this, uh, a similar storm, actually. Uh, and I'm in this flimsy kayak, like, between two islands. It's basically the ocean. And I, I flip over in this kayak into this cold Lake Superior water. And this is like terrifying. I, I, I think to myself, this is it. This is how I die. Bye, guys. <laughs> but thankfully, I was surrounded by very, very competent people. Um, so I did not die, thankfully. Thank good, goodness. good. So do you ever realize that you, you literally put yourself into these situations? You choose to go. So what makes you decide to go on these adventures over and over again? Again, like knowing that your life is on the line. Hmm. Right. I think the analogy is like a roller coaster uh, where where it's it's like super scary and thrilling. Uh, but I, I guess the difference with like camping is that there are no like there is no track, um, and so yeah, you, you could actually get hurt. But but you know you be, you're a better person at the end of it. So yeah. Yeah. And next up, our story from Grace. Her story is called A Change of Scenery. So there I am. I walk in to my art studio and there's just this beautiful golden sunlight peeking through the cream colored curtains of my studio. And I'm weaving my way through a maze of like easels and stools and tables. And I find my paint stained stool and I perch on it for a little bit. And I'm just looking at the spots of sunlight and shadows that are on my blank canvas from the window behind. And I look out the window and I'm seeing these yellow leaves of the trees rustling in the wind and the gray squirrels just scampering about. It's, it looks beautiful out there. And, and so I sit for a little longer and then it hits me. I, I like quickly wrap up my paint tubes in a brown rag that used to be white and I stuff my paintbrushes and palette knives into this old plastic cup that I used for water. And I wedged my very large canvas under my arm and flip off the lights and shut the door and walk very awkwardly with all my stuff outside. And I open the door to outside and it smells crisp and like earthy. The way that fall smells, it's kind of like mildew and moldy leaves, but it smells good, not, not in a bad way, it smells good. And so I find this picnic table and I just spread out all my stuff. I put the paintbrushes on the table with my water cup right next to them and then the canvas on the easel and I loop my dirty rag through the ripped pocket of my apron and I start my painting. I squeeze the paint from the tubes, my cadmium yellow light and my thalo blue and my titanium white and my quinacridone crimson 
And with my palette knife, I mix these slivers of color together, trying to remember what my art professor had told us. I think she said, mix the complementary color to make a tone more neutral and add the white to make a tint and add black to make it darker. And I'm, as I'm trying to remember all these things, I figure I'll, what the heck, I'll just guess. So I mix this blue and a yellow and just a touch of red. Then it makes kind of like a, a pickle color. Oops, that was <laughs> not right. Um, so I, I slapped some more blue in there and this was closer. It, it reminded me of kind of like the outside of a watermelon. My last try, I I, I put a, a big plop of yellow in there and just a little bit of white. Yeah, that was good. It was it looked like grass in the summertime. So I, I picked up my paintbrush and I just start slapping the paint on the canvas. It's like Van Gogh. It's like those long strokes, but it's like super thick paint. And soon my white canvas had streaks of green and blue and yellow and white. And I was in this groove. I was in, they call it a flow state, I think. It was, I was in the zone, except for sometimes when a box elder bug would land on my paint and I'd have to help its little legs get out of the paint. Or I'd reach over for my brushes and they were not where I left them because the wind was teasing me by moving my stuff. Um, but nonetheless, I, I kept painting and I began to see the scene that I was painting. It was a green wheat field with yellow flowers that peeked through the waves of the grass and the fluffy white clouds and the blue sky behind. Good job, it looked good. And, and I finished. So I pack everything back up, I clean up my picnic table and go back to my studio. And I, I sit there with my freshly painted paint, painting on my easel and I just look at it. And oh boy, that green was not summertime grass anymore. It was it was baby's throw up. And the dots of yellow were not happy bright sunflowers. They were mustard from the hamburger at lunch. And the sky was not baby blue. It was it was like a robot, gray and metallic. The fluorescent studio light changed the colors I made in the sunlight. What is color anyways? I mean, it's just reflection of light, that's all. And my light changed, so did my colors. The adventure and the beauty of painting outside was worth it. For the next three hours, I spent remixing and repainting my green wheat fields inside. So Grace, um, why, what got you into painting? Is this like a hobby of yours or did you need to do this like for a class? Well, it's always been sort of a hobby. I would like do it with my siblings when I was younger because I have a lot of older siblings and they're very creative. So I learned from them, but I had never taken a class before so this was my first class at Bethel actually like painting and learning real art things <laughs> yeah Grace I feel like you need some kind of like painting TV show and instead of like the joy of painting it's like the misery of painting with Grace Morningstar <laughs> but that, that being said you you make mistakes when you, when you do art right how, how do you deal with that you I don't think you'll ever, you never stop making mistakes. You're like, you know, you're always going to mess up. So I think the joy of art is, and especially painting, you can just put paint right over the, the other paint that was bad. That, I mean, that's what I did. So I think just maybe not taking it so seriously and just like, oops, that, that was an oopsie. I'm going to cover it up now. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And for our last story, we have Elvira and her story called, Are You Ready? All 
right, so it's February 8th, which really wasn't even that long ago. I decided to go donate my plasma. I mentioned that I've never done anything like that before, and I am extremely afraid of needles. So if there's like a phobia of needles, I've got it. So I don't know what motivated me to go spontaneously donate my plasma, but I did. So maybe it was the TikTok that showed up on my For You page, which was like, this is your sign to go donate plasma, you know? And I'm like, okay, bet. Or the suggestion or like the encouragement my boyfriend gave me the night before, but I was like, you know what, YOLO, and I, and I go. So I schedule my appointment to go, and, and it's 8.30 in the morning, I walk, walk in, and the, the lady at the front desk goes, welcome in. And as I walk in, the place instantly is just cold, and my heart starts beating a little faster than it probably should. And she walks me through all this paperwork, and all of a sudden, like, she's asking me for, like, my social security number and, like, all these crazy things. And then she's like, put your finger on the scanner, and she had to, like take my fingerprint. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So then she, at, towards the end of it, she gives me some animal crackers and a water bottle to consume while I waited. So as I'm snacking on my animal crackers, I'm just th- keep thinking to myself, like, why am I even here? Like, what am I doing here? And uh, as I asked myself that, I, I follow her as she shows me around. And, and then the nurse at the donation station sits me down in this big chair and she's like, show me your arms. So I just like, stretch out my arms and I'm like shivering and she gently looks at my veins and as she does this like a shiver runs through my spine I'm like oh my gosh what is she looking for so after a few moments of silence and some inspection of my veins she goes perfect I'm just like perfect really like what are you looking for and she goes you have great veins this will be a great place to get poked I'm like what do you mean I have good veins like what determines the good veins and just fear just showers over me I'm like oh my gosh so she she walks me over she has me grab my stuff and she walks me over to this tablet where I had to answer a never-ending list of questions so after what seemed like a lifetime of answering these questions I didn't even know the answers to to be honest because earlier like my my mom would just fill this out for me but now that I'm 18 and adult I have to fill them out myself so here I am like trying to like scratch my two brain cells figure out what these questions are asking me and once I finally finish that never-ending list of questions I get walked over to get a physical so I walk into the room and decide to sit in the lonely chair in the left corner corner just called my name so I sit down with my like jacket in my hands and holding on tight to it. And I lay my head against the wall as I waited for the doctor to come in. So after a while, the man in the white coat coat walks in and, and he sits down at his computer and types a few things and proceeds to ask me the same questions I just answered on the questionnaire. And I'm like, dude, why? I just answered these, but whatever. So I go on and repeat myself. Um, and then he kind of explain what the process of donating plasma would look like. So he just kind of walked me through it. And as he describes this process to me, I literally feel like the procedure was already being done on me. So like I get, it's like cold and like I can feel needles like poking me. Oh my gosh, scary. Would not want to do that again. So then once he's done with his little spiel, he goes, are you ready? And I, and I look at him with eyes full of tears and softly go, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think nice veins and like the cold room and the, the creepy guy with the with the coat and everything is something that like vampires would say. I think you had a vampire <laughs> nurse yes. I would say. So so maybe it's for the best that you left when you did. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, did that experience end your pursuit of donating plasma? Uh, yes. You say? <laughs> yes, for sure. I'm never going back there again. And he, and he goes, as I leave, he's just like, well, we have your stuff in like the database or whatever. So if you ever want to come back, it will be like a quicker process. I'm like, no, absolutely not. I'd rather not. It's not worth it. I'm just like, you know what? Well, 
Thanks for those stories. Um, what have we learned today from all three of our stories, would you say? I think um, a lesson from all of our stories is that it's okay not to, and not to succeed. But like more importantly, it's good not to get discouraged by our failures. So if you don't succeed, just to like recognize that it's okay and kind of learning from your mistakes instead of beating yourself down for it. Right, totally. And I think I've, I've heard it said uh, something like, if, if you're not making mistakes, <laughs> you're not making anything. Uh, and so that certainly applies to all three of these stories. Yeah, I mean, Phil, if you had never braved the storm in the mountains of New Mexico, you'd never have been able to see the rainbow on the other side. I mean, in this case, it wasn't actually a rainbow, more like character growth and leadership, but you know, same difference. Yeah, I, I think the real rainbow, the real bliss on the other side was like finally getting to take a shower uh, <laughs> when I got home. Uh, but but yeah, I, along the same lines, if Elvira had, had never tried to donate plasma, she'd never have known why they pay people to donate <laughs> plasma. Yeah. And now, lastly, we want to thank some people for helping us out to create this Modern Story podcast here at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, a huge thanks to Professor Chris Schaffner and his teaching assistants for maintaining the podcast studio and giving us access to it. And thank you to the writers like Shakespeare and Sophocles who inspired our stories. And thank you to all of us for editing our stories. Yes. Keep a lookout for the next episode of Modern Story Podcast, which is all about turning tables. Go tell both your friends about Modern Story. Go tell your local representative about Modern Story. Go text your mom right now and tell her about Modern Story. Go tell your imaginary boyfriend about Modern Story. (laughs) Or your vampire nurse about Modern Story. Or go tell some cows about Modern Story.